Lord, we thank you that all I am and all we are is you. Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for your spirit guiding us. Lord, I pray that in this time, we truly find ourselves in you, fully vested, everything that we have laid out on the table for you. Lord, continue to bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Get to spend one more time together in God's before we get to go home this evening. Anybody else find out that their wife was a much better bowler than they are? Oh, man. She's crazy good. I've never seen anything like it. If I'd even got close to her, we may have won that thing. I've, I, was, I was keeping it back. All right. Let's do this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. We're back in Ephesians. We're just going to be one chapter past where we were this morning. Uh, This past year, it's kind of a big year for my wife and I, we decided, we finally made the decision to buy our children a swing set. Yeah, I know, you know what I mean? And uh, it was done after a whole lot of online shopping and a whole lot of yard measuring and price comparison. And what we finally settled on was this, the Tucson by Backyard Discovery, available on walmart.com for a reasonable price, all right? Now, yeah, well, that's, we're not done, right? <laughs> this is a wonderful swing set. My children enjoy this swing set, but if you guys ever buy one, or if you guys ever buy one like it, I want to tell you that you need to set aside two days of your life to put that thing together, if you have help. Okay, If you do not have help, I would suggest you set aside four or five days to do it. This thing took forever to put up. I mean, it just literally took forever. And I confess to you, you do need to know this about me before we move forward. I am not a handy guy. Okay, I am about as handy as a hammer without a handle on it. I am just not a handy guy. Some of you guys are. I've been talking to you all these past few days, or a couple days. Some of you guys are handy. That's not me. But even if I was good with tools, it, it still would have taken a very long time. It took me two days with help. Two days with good help to do this and make it ready for the kids to swing on. Now, I will admit, if you open the box to this thing, it is intimidating. I mean, it's scary. There were so many pieces. There were so many boards that looked the same. There were so many bags of screws and nuts and washers of all different shapes and sizes. And the instruction booklet, which you see right here, was like a short novel, okay? It was, it was the war and peace of instruction booklets. This thing was so, so long. But I tell you what, those instructions are important, incredibly important. They told me exactly what to do, and they told me exactly when I needed to do it. They told me when all of these different pieces, uh, how they were supposed to fit together, what screws were supposed to be used where, and when I needed to know what I was supposed to do next, I went to the instructions. I mean, they really were like a lifeline. If I got confused, if I got troubled or worried, I went to those 
instructions. The instructions were the plan. They gave me the plan for how to put all of these parts together and fit them together the way that they were supposed to be fit together. Everything was, was fine as long as I stuck to the plan. And so I did. And here's how it turned out. This is the best picture I brought. All right. You see Carter climbing on it. He's having a good time. The swing works. Okay. Everything's just fine. But what if I hadn't stuck to the plan? What if I had veered off of the plan? What if I had gone maybe just a little bit rogue? What if I had walked up to this pile of boards that all looked alike and these piles of bolts and screws and nuts and other things and just said, you know what, I'm going to make myself a swing set out of all this. What if I had walked up to all this stuff and just tried to build it like I thought it should go together? Or tried to build it like my neighbor's swing set looked like? Or tried to build it like a swing set that I saw on TV? You know, how would that have gone? How would that have turned out? For some of you guys that are pretty good at stuff like this, it may have turned out okay. You know, I mean, it really, it may have turned out just fine. But what if you're like me? What if you are an absolute novice? How would it have turned out? I tell you, it wouldn't have been safe. <laughs> it would have been a mess, an absolute mess. Now, there is a small chance, a very small chance, that I may have constructed something with swings on it. But I tell you what, it would not have been sturdy and strong and well-built. The only time you get something that's sturdy and strong and well-built is if you follow the instructions and stick to the plan of the builder. Now, we've been talking about how good marriage is the past couple times we've been together. It was made by God to be good. And the goodness in it is because of God's intention that this as Mary's couples is that we would be one, that we would be one thing, that we would be completely united. Oneness is God's good plan. And in his word, what God does is he gives us instructions. He gives us the plan for how these two parts, husband and wife, are to function together in a marriage so that we can function as one. And one of the places that God does this, that he gives these instructions most explicitly, is in Ephesians chapter 5. And as I already told you this morning, I absolutely love the book of Ephesians. I truly, really do. Uh, Paul is so theologically rich at the front. He is so practical on the other side. He's just telling us how we live out these things that we believe and confess as followers of Christ. And when he comes to chapter 5... He talks about how husbands and wives are supposed to relate to each other, how they're supposed to interact with each other within the marriage relationship. He speaks specifically to them. He shows them how to be married. He talks to us about how to be married and how to function as one thing. What we're about to read here, just a second, this is God's instruction to his people, his people who have had their sin problem taken care of, who've had their sin problem solved on how to have a marriage, the type of marriage that he has called them to and that he has designed husband and wife to have. This is God's plan. And so all we're going to do tonight is read what God's plan is so that we can stick to God's plan. All right? So read with me if you would. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to start reading in verse 22. It's there that the Apostle Paul, he writes this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is God's plan. This is God's plan for oneness. He is the maker of marriage, and according to the maker of marriage, this is how the pieces in a marriage ought to fit together. All right, These instructions are straight from the factory. No need to try to argue with these. It is what it is. He speaks to wives first. And what he tells wives is that wives faithfully follow. Now, when we read this passage, and I don't know, maybe some of you are just reading it now for the first time, there is this word, there is this word that, you know, kind of catches our ear. There's this word that catches our attention immediately. It's the S word. Submit. Paul is writing these instructions for married couples under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And one of the first things out of the gate is, wives, submit to your own husbands. And I tell you what, that grabs our attention, doesn't it? Sounds maybe just a little bit odd. And the reason that this grabs our attention is because if you are like me, one of the first things that you think about when you hear the word submit is Ric Flair. Yeah. One of the first things that you probably think about when you hear the word submit is Ric Flair, the nature boy. The styling, profiling, limousine-riding, 16-time heavyweight champion of the world. Back in my high school days, Ric Flair was, you know, one of my wrestling favorites. I watched a lot of wrestling. I didn't say wrestling, right? I watched a whole lot of wrestling way back in the day. And one of my favorite guys was Ric Flair. He had that beach blonde hair. He had those ridiculous spangly robes like that beautiful thing that he's got on right now. He would come down to the ring, he would do just a little shimmy, and then he'd say, Woo! Yes, I loved Ric Flair. He was great. I know. To be that's that's exactly right, Amy. I had forgotten that. Thank you. We just bonded. Well, Ric Flair had this move. He had this submission hold. And it was called the figure four. Now, to perform the figure four, what you would do is you would twist somebody's legs into the shape of a four, and the legs would end up crossing about like this. And so you would apply pressure on the person's legs where pressure was not supposed to be applied, and it hurt. And the goal was to get that person to submit. The goal was to get that person to tap out. And it was incredibly painful because I tested it on my brother. When he was younger and smaller than me, and I still remember his screams, all right? This was a painful thing. 
And so when we read what the Bible says here, when we read this word submit, it brings to mind all of these negative images. It makes us think of being overpowered. It makes us think of being forced to do something that we don't want to do, forced to give in. It makes us think of being weak. The person who submits is weak. But this is, this is not at all the picture that the Bible is painting of a wife submitting to her husband. So what I'd like to do is, before we talk about what submission is, what godly submission is, I'd like to maybe diffuse some of that and talk about what submission is not. And there's a few things that submission is not. Submission is not insulting. It's not insulting to the wife. It's not insulting to sit under any leadership. Not insulting to sit under any kind of leadership that God actually calls us to sit under, because he calls us to sit under all kinds of leadership. We are called to sit under our government leaders. We're called to sit under our bosses at work. We're called to sit under our elders and our pastor, pastors at our church. But this doesn't mean that we are of less value. It doesn't mean that we are of less worth. It doesn't mean that we are in some way inferior to the person that God calls us to follow. Not at all. I want you to remember that Jesus the Son submitted himself very faithfully to the will of his Father when he came to die on behalf of sinners. God the Son followed God the Father. And God the Son is of no less worth. He is of no less value than God the Father, not at all. And so likewise, in a marriage, God calls one to lead. God calls one to follow. But this does not mean that the wife is in any way, some way inferior to or less than the husband. This is not a slam, ladies, not at all. Submitting also is not weakness. It's not being overpowered. It is not uh, being put in a position of weakness so you have to give in to something that you don't want to do. Not at all. Submission is an act of the will. It is choosing to follow. It's saying, I am going to follow my husband. As we said, Jesus submitted himself to the will of his Father. And I tell you what, there is nothing weak. There is nothing weak about the Son of God. There is nothing weak about the one through whom all things were made. There is nothing weak about the one who we believe is coming back someday to conquer all of his enemies and reign forever. Just because you follow, just because you submit faithfully to the authority that God has placed over you, does not in any way mean that you are weak. And listen, submission is also not maid service. <laughs> no. Husbands. Husbands, God has not given you a maid, okay? God has not done that. He's not given you a maid to wait on you and to pick up after you and to meet your every wish so that you can watch the Titans play, all right? That is not what he has blessed you with. He has given you a wife, and the two of those things are very, very different. Submitting also isn't silence. If it was, my wife would be a reprobate, right? <laughs> she is a talker. <laughs> This is not a call for wives to keep quiet in their marriage and never share their opinions and never share and speak what is on their mind. This is not a call for wives to keep quiet. It's just not what it is. Not a call for wives to stay out of the decision-making. That is not what it is. Not at all. And also, we need to be clear about this. Submission in marriage is not submitting to every man. 
It is not submitting to every man. This is not a call for women generally to submit to men generally as if the Bible were trying to keep the woman down. Uh, That's shenanigans. Just not the case. Paul is very specific in what he says here. Wives, submit to your own. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Not to somebody else's husband. All right? My wife doesn't have to submit to Matt Brown. Not at all. Not to other men just because they are men. Paul is speaking specifically into the marriage relationship. Specifically into the marriage. So that is what uh, submission is not. Okay? Let's take a look at what it actually is. Submitting is following his lead. You've got to have somebody lead. Somebody has to lead. Have you ever been together with a group of people who were trying to decide where to eat for dinner and nobody wanted to make a decision? Wasn't that awful? Wasn't that painful? Didn't it take forever and get frustrating to the point that you got so hungry that you maybe just ended up at Taco Bell or something? I mean, somebody has to lead. This is how life works. Somebody has to lead. If somebody doesn't lead, then the ship is just not going to go anywhere. There has to be leadership in companies and businesses. There has to be leadership in churches. There has to be leadership in a marriage. There has to be leadership in a marriage or it's not going to go anywhere. And within the marriage relationship, when somebody leads, somebody else has to follow. And what God has ordained is that the husband within the marriage relationship would be the leader and that the wife would faithfully follow. And so, ladies, God's desire for you is that you would let him lead. That you would allow your husband to be the head of your home. That you would allow your husband to cast a vision for your home and the direction that it's going and that you would rally behind him and be his biggest fan and his biggest cheerleader when he makes decisions for your home. Now, we admit that this is a big ask, don't we? And that this is not always an easy thing to do. Because I tell you what, husbands, sometimes we don't make it easy. We got bad ideas sometimes. And we are flawed. We are so flawed and we sin and we are struggling to be faithful, just wives as you are. But I tell you this, following your husband's leadership, it's also faithfulness to Christ. Following your husband, in a way, is following Jesus. Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. He's not just giving advice because Paul just thinks this is a great idea and this is how a house, a home would work well as if this, this happened. This is God's design for our marriages. For Christian marriage, this is his blueprint, this is his plan. God is saying that this is how it will work best. I've made this thing, this, will how, this is how it's going to work best if you will do it. But, here's an idea, uh, something practical, a practical part of it. Submitting is respecting. Ugh. Not always easy. Submitting is also resisting the urge to talk down to him. Submitting is resisting the urge to talk to him like he's a fool. Submitting is resisting the urge. Faithfully following him is resisting the urge to talk about him to your friends and talk down to him to your friends. And you can show respect to your husband by actually building him up in front of other people, by building him up in front of your kiddos. 
Submitting is also being an encourager. Building him up instead of tearing him down. It's coming to his aid. It's helping him. Instead of dwelling on his failures, submitting is taking on that role of helper that we talked about yesterday from the book of Genesis. It's making him better because you are a part of his life. And following is also participating in his leadership. It's joining in. Again, like I said, this is not a call, not at all, for wives to be silent or to be quiet and for husbands to be their overlords or their dictators or something like that. That is just not the case. Wives, as he leads you, jump in. Talk to him. Talk to him. Participate in what he's doing. Join in his leadership. Share with him your feelings and your concerns and your thoughts and uh, you know, what you're feeling about the direction of the marriage and where it's going. Talk to him about those family decisions. Do these things together. After I graduated from seminary, uh, I was looking for jobs which is always unpleasant. I was looking for places to serve in ministry, and there were a couple of churches that were interested in me as serving, coming and serving as their youth pastor. And uh, so one was a little bit farther along than the other. They were in two different parts of the state. And what Laura and I did is we just talked. We spent a lot of time talking. We spent a lot of time talking about the pros and the cons of both. We spent a lot of time talking about her concerns and, and her fears. And, and uh, I knew by the time we had uh, gone through this decision process for, for quite a while, I knew exactly how she felt. I knew exactly what she was thinking about both places. But the day finally came where I had to make a decision. I told one church that I would let them know what, it, uh, what I would do by a certain date. And so that morning she got up, she went to work. I woke up, and I just, just prayed. I kind of had in mind what I thought I was going to do. And she called me in the middle of the afternoon, and she said, okay. She said, tell me where we're moving. Now, at no point in that process was my wife separate from that decision. She let me lead. She allowed me to lead our family in that incredibly important decision. She was a part of the whole thing. But she wasn't absent from it. Not in any way, shape, or form. She was a part of it from beginning to end. But we also have to say this, is that submitting is also resisting the urge to take control. It's resisting the urge to take control. Wives, there will be times when you want to shove him into the passenger seat. And you want to grab that steering wheel and do what you think is better with the car. Maybe you want to disengage the parking brake. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I know. <laughs> she didn't. <laughs> when that happens, you must resist the urge to control him. Amy. Amy. <laughs> I know. She was great. You must resist the urge to manage him. You must resist the urge to do these things, to dominate him. Or, ladies, manipulate him. I know how you work. <laughs> I know how it is. You must resist the urge to do these things for your marriage to function and be built according to God's instructions. You've got to resist the urge to just control the guy. Build him up. Let him lead. Now, here is why God is calling you to do this, not necessarily all for the sake of a functionality, 
It's because the church follows Christ. And that sounds a little bit odd, but Paul says that this is absolutely the reason for everything that he is saying. Wives, submit to your husbands, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. So here's what he's saying. He's saying that this is God's plan for marriage, his instructions for how husbands and wives are to function together and move towards oneness. Paul is saying that God's plan for marriage is supposed to mimic, it is supposed to look like the relationship between Christ and his church, between us and our Savior. God has established the husband's leadership in the home. The husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and so the husband is to mimic Jesus, as we'll talk about in just a second. Tough calling. Just brace yourself. Okay? And the wife is to mimic the church as she faithfully follows him, just as the church is called to faithfully follow Jesus. This is an interesting plan. Right? This is an interesting set of instructions. You are not going to find this in any secular book on marriage. All right? This is Christian marriage. Now, you see, usually what we try to do with our marriages is we do look for models. We do look for things to follow on how to make this marriage thing work. Some of us will try to do marriage like our parents did it. Some of us will try to do marriage better than our parents did it. Some of us will try to do marriage like our friends are doing it. And some of us, honestly, will try to live out a marriage that we kind of see on TV. It sounds kind of dumb because we know those aren't real, but what we put in is what we try to live out. I mean, that's just kind of what happens. We are naturally looking for a relationship to model our own marriage relationship after. And what Paul tells us is that we have one. The relationship that our marriage is supposed to model is the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church. And so this is where we need to look. Wives mimic the church and faithfully follow. But now husbands. Listen, here it comes. Paul is about to focus us, he's about to focus in on what God is calling husbands to do. And I tell you what, fellas, this is a challenging call. Our wives, yes, they are supposed to look like the church, but us, you and I, we're supposed to be like Jesus. And it's not easy to be like Jesus. Husbands, we must lovingly lead. Here's what Paul says. Husbands, love your wives. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. So there it is. The L word, love. And if we were to stop there, we would think, oh, that's not so bad. This marriage thing not so tough. Of course I love her. She's pretty, she smells good and all that. But then we read on, and what we see is the full picture of this, that yes, God has called our wives to follow us as the church follows Jesus, but oh no, God is calling us to love her just as Jesus loves the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, I'll tell you what, when we first started reading this passage, anytime somebody reads it, it's that S word, that submit word at the beginning that gets all of attention. That, that's where our questions go. That's where our focus goes. That's where the attention falls. But, fellas, read what God in his word is calling us to do. 
and how we're supposed to do it, and who our model is. God is demanding more of us as leaders in our home. Paul's telling us to love our wives, but we're supposed to love our bride just as Jesus loved his bride. And do not miss this. Jesus loved his bride so much that he died for her. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, if Jesus is our model on how we're supposed to love and lead her, then we can discern pretty quickly what our leadership is supposed to look like. Loving leadership is not a few things. We did this for the ladies, we'll do it for us too. Loving leadership is not all about feelings. Not all the time. When Paul tells us to love our spouse, he's not calling us to feel warm and fuzzy about her. It's great if you do. But he's not calling us to feel warm and fuzzy about her and then act out how we feel. This has nothing to do with feelings. Feelings come and go like heartburn. They do. Some days we feel close to our wives. Some days we feel drawn to our wives. Some days we feel like she has descended from angelic, unseen realms above. Some days we don't. You know what I mean? That's just how it goes. How we feel about her does not determine how we love her. Do you think Jesus felt good? you think Jesus felt good when he carried out his great act of love for us? Do you think Jesus felt good when he was in Gethsemane, when he was sweating drops of blood, asking the Father to if there was another way. Do you think Jesus felt warm and fuzzy when the thorns were shoved on his head and when the nails were hammered into his hands and when he was suffocating under his own weight and when the wrath of God was dumped on him? The wrath of God that we deserve. I doubt it. I doubt it very much. Husbands, our love for our wives isn't determined by how we feel in any moment. We do it no matter how we feel. It's not about feelings. And also, uh, lovingly leading our wives, it's also not about me. It's not about me. And this is a tough one to swallow. Guys, our marriages, they do not revolve around us. Believe it or not, we are called to mimic the Savior, and the way that he loved his bride was selfless. Our needs and our desires, they do not come first in our marriage. And so here is what loving leadership is. Loving leadership is Christ-like. Now, we've already said it, but we need to say it again because everything flows out of this. You have to love her the way that Jesus loved her, which means you love her. Your love for her must be characterized by a few things, like self-sacrifice. God the Son humbled himself and took on human flesh so that he could die for his bride. And so, husbands, what our God calls us to do is to love our wives like that. He calls us to die to ourselves and to smother out our own self-interest so that we can prioritize her above our own well-being. And if loving her hurts, and if loving her costs us greatly, and if loving her is a challenge and it requires a whole lot of, it, that, of us, that is because it is supposed to. 
That's what love is. You must be willing to sacrifice for her. You got to be ready to sacrifice for her. You got to be ready to sacrifice your wants and your desires, your own well-being, even your very life. Even in your very life, if that's what God calls you to do because that's how Jesus loved us. Loving leadership is also prioritizing her. We have to treasure our spouses. We need to treasure our wife more than we treasure our mom and more than we treasure our buddies, and more than we treasure our kids. I was at a marriage conference in Newfoundland, Canada, of all places. I get around. (laughs) Yeah. I was at a marriage conference in Newfoundland, Canada. There was this couple there, and they were upset. The wife was upset because every night her husband would call his mom, and I guess talk for a very long time. And so, you know, at the end of the day, There's only so much time, there's only so much energy to invest in each other, and she just thought that his mom was getting the best of it. And the husband's response, it was a small marriage conference, so we got to talk. The husband's response was, well, of course I love my wife. I absolutely love my wife, but it's my mom. That's what he said. That's not how it works. God has called husbands to love her more than we love our parents, more than we love our friends, more than we love our children. He's called us to love her like Christ loved the church. God has only called us to love our wives. No one else, just our wives, like Christ loved the church. She has to be our priority. She has to be above everyone else. It has to be God, her, kids, and then other stuff. We have to invest in her. You see, we have to invest in our relationship with her. And this may mean that you don't go fishing as much. All right? I know. I know. This may mean that you don't get to go hunting as much. This may mean that you don't always get to go where you want to go on vacation. That may be what happens. This might mean that you don't do things that you're comfortable doing or that you think you have time for doing. This may mean that you have to buy flowers or write little notes Or do little things that she finds romantic that don't make sense to you. This may mean that you have to take her on a date once in a while. All right? But she must be your priority more than anyone else in this world. And loving her and leading her like Jesus also means committing yourself to her good to her good. Jesus loved his church, and he gave himself up for her to make her salvation possible. Jesus died for his bride, verse 27, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Jesus was committed to the ultimate good of his bride, regardless of the cost to himself. And there's another metaphor that the Apostle Paul is using here. Not only is the church the bride of Christ, but the church is the body of Christ. And Paul says in verse 28, In the same way husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. Husband, your wife is the one, uh, your wife is the one that you are to take care of. 
You must care for her completely because this is what Jesus does for his body, the church. He provides for her. He cares for her. Husbands, God has called us to do likewise. You have to be completely committed to her good. Her burdens are your burdens. And her worries are your worries. You must seek to ease those things. If she has needs, then they are your needs. And you must try to meet those needs, even if those needs don't make sense sometimes. This is what God has called us to do. You must make sure that she feels loved and that she feels appreciated in the ways that she feels loved and appreciated. There's a good chance that she does not feel loved and appreciated in the same ways that you do. We've got to figure those things out so that we can love her the way that she feels loves. Husbands, we must be committed to her ultimate good, whatever the personal cost to ourselves. And then finally, loving her does mean taking the lead. We have to do this. We have to step up to the plate and be men in our homes. It's being spiritual leaders in our homes. It's making sure that she is growing. It's making sure that our kids are hearing the gospel, or if they're believers, it's making sure that they're growing too in their relationship with Jesus. It's running point on discipline. It's not just shoving the kids off to mom when the kids are acting up, but it's, it's being, being there to back her up and to take the lead in disciplining our kids. And it's taking the lead in other matters as well, financial ones. When it comes to finances, take the lead. It doesn't mean you have to do the budget. Whoever's best in the house with numbers and stuff like that, you can do the budget. But guys, if, if you're not the ones with your hands on the money, at least stay informed so you can lead your home faithfully. Take the lead. When it comes to big decisions, take the lead. When she comes to you and there's a decision that has to be made, we need to man up. Sometimes what we want to do is say, well, whatever you think, honey. (laughs) Because we don't want to process it. You know, we've been at work all day. I just want to sit on my couch and watch some TV. And we just try to, to push that off to the side because we don't want to be bothered with it. But talk with her and investigate for her and collaborate with her and lead her. Love her. Love her like Jesus loves his church. Now, wives and husbands, this is God's manual. This is his how-to manual for our marriage, and it is challenging. And I tell you what, it may be brand new to some of you here this evening, and you may feel a little bit awkward about it at first, but the one who created marriage is saying this is how it will work best if you will be faithful to do it. If we're faithful to live like this as husband and wife, we will move together closer towards oneness. But if you do differently, if you buck this, and if you rebel against this, you will drift apart. Husbands and wives were made to compliment. That's a bad compliment. (laughs) Can't do it right. But we are made to complement each other, just like God has outlined here, for the sake of oneness. I want you to notice something. I mentioned it yesterday. Oneness is still God's plan, still very much God's plan. It's still God's desire for marriage, even after sin has entered the world. The Apostle Paul is quoting a very familiar passage. I pray it's familiar to you. We talked about it last night. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Sin hasn't changed that. 
Sin has not changed God's plan for marriage. God still wants marriage to be good. God still wants husbands and wives to be one. But we cannot miss this. That oneness, it comes through imitating oneness. It comes through mimicking oneness. This whole passage has been moving in this direction and building towards us without saying it explicitly. And then in verses 29 and 30, he talks about how wives should care, or I'm sorry, how husbands should care for their wives as their own body, just as Christ cares for his church, his own body. And in verse 31, he says, For this reason, right? For this reason, for this reason, a wife will join to her husband, and they will become one flesh. This is why people get married, is what he's saying, this one plus one relationship. This is why God has called husband and wife to be one flesh, to become one body. It's inspired by and meant to reflect the unity that exists in the relationship between Jesus and his church. We get married to mimic the relationship between Jesus and his church. And so husbands and wives, if we want to move towards each other, if we want to be functional, if we want to be more than functional, if we want to be madly in love, and if we want a marriage that is characterized by unity and closeness and intimacy and true love, true, genuine love, then we have to imitate this unity and this closeness and this intimacy and this commitment and this love that is displayed in the marriage of Jesus to his bride, the church. We have to look like that. We have to try to mirror and mimic that. His marriage is the reason that we get married. You see, this marriage thing is a lot bigger than we are. A lot bigger than we are. If we want to be one, the way that he and his bride are one, then wives, you need to faithfully follow your husbands the way his bride faithfully follows him. And then husbands, we cannot drop the ball. We need to lovingly lead her, just like our Christ has lovingly led his church. Please pray with me. Father God, we are thankful for our Savior. We are thankful, God, that we are His bride, those of us who believe and follow Him. And God, we are thankful that You have given His marriage relationship to His church as one for us to mimic and to follow. Father God, my prayer for each of the couples in this room, myself included, is simply this, is that we would mimic the relationship between Jesus and His church. I pray, God, for the wives in the room tonight, this difficult call to follow flawed, weak men who make mistakes and goof up all the time. I pray that you would strengthen and empower them and help them to do this faithfully. And Lord God, for the husbands, God, I pray that we would be godly men who are willing to sacrifice for the woman that you have called us to marry that we would love her and cherish her and serve her. And God, that we would lead her. That we would stand up and lead her and be the men that we're called to be in our family. God, neither task is easy. And yet, God, you have shown us the way. You have given us the plan, the instructions to do this faithfully. And I pray, God, that in 
as we begin, you know, tonight and in the days and weeks and years ahead for each of these marriages that you would start us out maybe on a fresh foot and we would seek to stick to this great plan that you have given us. Father God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to do something a little bit different tonight. This is our third message together. This is the third time that we've been in God's Word together, and it may be that uh, in your relationships that some things have maybe started to crop up. Maybe you find that you're not lining up with the Word of God the way that maybe you thought you were when you first walked in here the other night. Maybe you've come in and you're struggling with a few different things. Maybe you came in, you thought you were cruising, and you realize, ugh, you know, honey, we've got some stuff we need to work on. I don't, I don't know where any relationship is in the room tonight. We just met and went bowling together this afternoon. But I will say this. If uh, we're going to have a time and just allow you to respond in any way that you would like to respond. If maybe you'd like to grab your spouse and just go off somewhere else in the building because you need a few minutes to talk to each other or maybe pray together, just go and do that. Nobody's going to think you're weird or judge you because you do that. Just go ahead. If, if now's the time while we're singing here in a minute that you would just like to sit in your seat with your spouse and pray, you just go ahead and do that too. Here in a little bit in our discussion groups, we're going to have a time where I pray the guys can open up to guys and talk and girls can open up to the gals and talk. If, if that's a time for you to open up and converse, please please do that. And, and also Pastor Matt's going to be up the front. If you would just like to come down and have him pray for you, um, I know that he would be glad to do that. If you would like to grab him and take him to the back for a few minutes and talk to him about something, you can do that as well. But if, if there is some way that you and your spouse need to be ministered to tonight or just to get away and talk with each other, feel free to do that during this time of singing. If you all would, please go ahead and stand. Give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, O God of Jacob. God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, O God of Jacob. bow our hearts we bend our knees oh spirit come make us humble we turn our eyes from evil things oh lord we cast down our idols so give us clean hands Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. God. 
God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. Give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. So give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Your love is devoted like a ring of solid gold, like a vow that is tested, like a covenant of old. Your love is enduring through the winter rain and beyond the horizon. And mercy for today. Faithful you have been, faithful you will be. You pledge yourself to me, and it's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. You father the orphan, your kindness makes us whole. You shoulder weakness, and your strength becomes our own. You're making me like you, 
clothing me in white, bringing beauty from ashes. For you will have your bride, free from all her guilt, rid of all her shame, and known by her true name. And it's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips you will be praised you will be praised angels and saints we sing worthy are you lord you will be praised you will be praised angels and saints we sing worthy are you Saints, we sing worthy are you, Lord. You will be praised. You will be praised. Angels and saints, we sing worthy are you, Lord. And it's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips.